Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Welcome to episode 25 of the No Meat Athlete Radio Podcast. I am Matt Frazier, joined as always by my co-host Doug Hay. Doug, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Doing really good. Happy to be here. Yeah, me too. So this is our second recording um, with both of us in person on this in the same place. We haven't yet upgraded to having two separate microphones, so we're still not only sharing microphones this time, but also sharing earbuds. So uh, it's <laughs> it's it's very romantic. Um, we have a cool guest today, a guy who I've gotten to know pretty well over the past, uh, I guess, year or so. And actually, just week this weekend, Doug and I both went to visit him in Nashville uh, to do some video recording because he has a nice little recording studio set up in his house. And also did a little bit of Nashville fun and casino fun on the way there. But anyway, uh, his name is Jeff Sanders. He is the host of the 5AM Miracle podcast, which has really taken off recently this past I guess, I don't know, he's been doing it for for maybe eight, ten months now. I'm not sure. We'll find out in just a minute. Um, he's also my accountability partner. So every Friday, Jeff and I get together via Skype for half an hour, talk about what we've got planned for the week, make commitments, you know, do that. And then the next Friday, get on there and kind of hold each other accountable. Um, so he's also, I mean, the reason it's a great fit for this podcast, of course, is that Jeff is also a raw vegan marathoner. One day ultra marathoner. Uh, he was carrying around a bunch of bananas in Nashville, so um, mostly fruitarian as well. And we've got him for half an hour today to talk about how this diet lifestyle uh, can help you dominate your day before breakfast, which is what the Five AM Miracle is all about. So, Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us. Hey, thanks, Matt and Doug. I'm great to be here. This is awesome. Yeah, feels like we just saw you. Yeah, we just did. <laughs> <laughs> we just did. So anyway, um, the reason that that we thought it'd be great for this call is not just the the productivity and personal development stuff, which you and I are both into. I don't know how much of the No Meat Athlete audience is into that stuff. I mean, I think a significant number is, but um, you know, the real reason is because we had this conversation in Nashville about how what you know what one of your of your you know positions in this market, I guess, is that the diet and the fitness that that stuff really helps you out with the energy to be as productive as you possibly can. So when, when everyone else is talking about productivity hacks and all this stuff, there's probably a more foundational thing is just having enough energy, and that's what you feel that your diet and the fitness lifestyle gives you. Can you is that So is that like the reason why you became raw and vegan, or, or was it more just general health? Or, or tell us the, the backstory there. Sure. I mean, the, the backstory for me uh, going vegan originally started about four years ago when I was uh, I actually got, got a dog, my little pug Benny, and I went to the the pet store and the owner asked or the pet store owner asked me what kind of food I wanted to get my dog, and I assumed well I should buy him the best food because he's my new puppy and may as well feed him the best. And I realized at that moment that I wasn't feeding myself the best possible food. I had been eating basically just crap for a long time, and I wasn't healthy, and I wanted to be healthier. So I did a lot of research, and over and over and over again, I discovered that a vegetarian diet seemed like the best direction to go. And so I went vegetarian because of my health, and immediately I felt a lot better. And then a few months into that, I discovered the documentary Earthlings, which is you know very ethically driven, very disturbing documentary. And watching that, like instantly I was vegan. Like no, no doubt about it in my mind, I had to do that for my lifestyle. 
And so that's what I did overnight, went vegan, and that was about yeah almost four years ago now. And so that's what started the journey, and that's what got me on the path of health. And you know, I was running marathons already, but I ran a whole lot more after that, which was really fantastic. So then this whole journey of, of getting healthy and running marathons was really driven ultimately by my health, and then I added in the ethical side later on. And the productivity stuff kicked in about two years later, so I was already feeling the health and, and feeling so much better about myself and realized that with the health, I was more energized every day and I was getting more done just kind of by default. And that's when I kind of realized that it is more foundational to have the diet and the exercise and, and all those pieces in place because when you have that energy, the productivity is just a natural byproduct. It just happens because you're so jacked up for the day. You're so ready to make things happen that there's really no other way to approach your day besides being productive because what would you do with the extra energy anyway? I guess you could run more as well, but but I I turned it into this opportunity to get a lot done, and then that's where the five a.m. miracle really kicked in with this idea that you know with the energy, with the diet, with the fitness, you've got this foundation laid, and then that's so much more beneficial than just trying to find a hack or you know read a quick blog post that gives you a way to make a small increment in productivity. The foundation of the diet is so much more powerful because it's got so much more just impact on how you approach your day and, and how you're able to get things done. Yeah, I really like that. I think um, I think you're right. I think that the the natural approach these days is to, um, you know, find the quickest hack or the shortest, easiest way to to be more productive or to get in shape and to, to do things like that. But you're right. It, it's really this foundation that we need to build um, that's, that's not just about exercise or just about diet, or just about productivity, they all kind of go together. And that's that seems to be what you've figured out. And that's uh, part of what Matt and I both really like about about what you're what you're doing. So were you a morning person before? Um, before you went? Before you went vegan? Or, or was or were you just waking up just full of energy from the very beginning? Yeah, that, that's basically what happened. I was I wasn't waking up early at that point. I, I went vegan and, and realized that actually I had a very distinct moment is about two weeks after I went vegan. I was walking through the halls of my office and I had this like epiphany that I felt lighter on my feet. Like I, it was almost like yeah. at, at one like moment in time, all this kind of just crud in my life just started just to flood out of my head. And I had this real intense <laughs> epiphany and this moment of clarity where like I felt fantastic. And I was just like, this is incredible. Like, I, I had not felt that clear-headed in such a long time. And that's when it really kicked in for me. Like, this, the diet is changing the way I think. It's changing the way that I approach my day. It wasn't until about probably two years after that that I really did the 5 a.m. thing and got up early and started being more intentional about my time usage. But it definitely started with the diet because that's what gave me that natural energy boost to want to go make the most of my day. Right. And so what other transformations did you see from the beginning? You said energy, um, but were, you know, were you also were there any physical transformations that were taking place? Oh, definitely. I, I lost about forty pounds in about four months, which was unexpected for me because I didn't think I was actually overweight. And so it was one of those cases where you know I looked myself in the mirror every day and kind of justified my appearance. I was like, oh, I look fine. It's just there's muscle under all that fat, but that wasn't <laughs> really true. And so you know, yes, I had the definite physical transformation there in terms of losing the weight. Um, and for, I actually lost a lot of weight originally, and then I gained back a, a, a bit of weight when I was doing more uh, exercise and fitness work. So I gained back a lot of muscle there. Uh, but yeah, originally that that cold, just like my, my acne started disappearing, my skin started clearing up. Um, I have eczema, so I had these like dry spots on my legs that started to look a lot better. Uh, so it was just these kind of 
all these natural kind of just small benefits at, at, at first, and then these kind of big things kicked in later on as well. So it was one of those cases where going vegan totally transformed my entire body. Yeah, that's something I hear so much. Like on the book tour, I just heard that over and over. These these little things like eczema, like dandruff, um, not always dry skin related things, but just all sorts of different little conditions that just people said they just cleared up back pain. All these things just disappeared miraculously, seemingly when they went vegan. And I suspect it's not necessarily vegan, but just you know moving towards a whole foods diet uh, is probably what does that. Who knows? Maybe it is vegan, but I haven't really seen that much documentation for anything whether it's vegan or whole foods diet um that because i think probably there's little things like that are are very hard to document but i've just been struck by how prevalent stories like that are um so jeff what i think is really interesting about your whole story here we've talked about this transition which is a hard thing to do and people when they talk about making a transition from a regular omnivorous diet towards not just vegan but but raw vegan fruitarian which you nearly are both of those things now um, but you actually did this after being in a relationship. I don't know if you were married yet or just kind of, um, in a relationship, but, but your, your wife presently is not vegan and you kind of went this direction all on your own, which of course is what you wrote the guest post about for No Meat Athlete, which we'll link up in the bottom of the show notes here. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just how you make that work and like how you, how you made that work not just now, but when you were making this transition and how you kind of went that went that way without, not necessarily without the support, but without someone else on the same journey with you. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because I think in my marriage, my wife and I, we were married at the time that I went vegetarian and then went vegan. And the way that we kind of work in our relationship with our marriage is that we are very independent thinkers. So we don't, we don't like eat dinner together very often. And we don't do a lot of those things that most couples might do together. Uh, we're very used to kind of having our own paths anyway. So when I told her I was going to stop eating meat, uh, it didn't surprise her. And she was totally fine with it. She supported me the whole way through. And she has actually eaten a healthier diet since then as well. But it has been one of those cases where we do eat very independently. So I buy my own food and I prepare my own meals. And I it is a little bit tougher in the sense that I am doing this by myself. And I mean, I'm sure there are, I know there are couples that are both vegan together and it definitely makes things uh, work in an easier transition like that and to shop together and to eat together. Uh, but we do things, uh, you know, independently and we've made it work. You know, I'm very I'm very used to it now. It's not a big deal. It'd be the same way as if, if you were single and lived alone and bought your own food. It's kind of the same idea. So it's just a matter of we don't share as many things as most couples might do. Uh, but uh, it, it works for us. Okay, and then how about? I mean, not th- not that you have experience in this, but just from this experience, what advice do you have? I mean, sp- you know, like what you wrote in the guest post, but just for podcast listeners, for someone who is taking on this transformation or is thinking about it, wants to do it, but their spouse or whoever they live with just is not on board. You know, they're not even going to try to convince them or anything like that. Um, d- do you have any tips from your experience that you know that someone like that could could take and use? Well, the way that I approach things is that you're not going to be able to change another person. So if they are not on board with what you're doing, it's not your job to try to force them to be on board. So I think that it's one of those cases where it's, it is your life and you have to live your life to be true to yourself. And if being true to yourself means going vegan when no one else around you is going to go vegan, then that's what you should do. You know, when I go home for the holidays, nobody's vegan but me. 
I'm the only person in my entire family, and I doubt anybody in my family is going to go vegan outside of my my grandfather who told me that he stopped eating some meat, although he still eats lunch meat, which is very strange. Uh, but other than that, like I am the only guy in my family, and yeah, it's it's a, a little tougher road. But if that's the best that you can do for yourself is to to make that change, then I think it's the it's awesome. And you're going to be the trendsetter and you're going to inspire others to eat healthier. And you need to kind of embrace that leadership role that you're going to have uh, among your friends and family and coworkers and people that you interact with uh, to be that kind of beacon of health, which I think is a really awesome place to be. So I would say that most people when they're on their own, like like you are, um, you know, would be very satisfied with just a straight up vegan diet and they would feel like they're doing good for themselves and doing good for, uh, you know, the cause. Um, but you've taken it a step further, at least somewhat recently with the, with the fruitarian diet. Tell us a little about, little bit about that and how you've transitioned to the 80, 10, 10, uh, fruitarian, uh, raw vegan style. Yeah, I discovered uh, the 801010 diet about six months after I went vegan originally. Um, I discovered uh, Mike Arnstein, who you guys have talked to before, uh, who is an you know ultra marathon running 801010er, who is probably the healthiest people I've ever seen on the planet. And when I first saw his videos of him running ultra marathons, you know, eating all, all this fruit, I was really inspired because one of the first questions I had when I went vegan was, can I go vegan and still be incredibly athletic? Now, at the point in time, I wasn't actually that athletic, but I wanted to know that if I made this transition, if I ate a lot of fruit, could I still like lift big weights or run marathons or be really strong and, and fit? And the answer was very clearly, of course I could. Yes, it's definitely possible. And some of the best athletes on the planet are vegans. And so I was very interested in what Mike Arnstein was doing, and he told me about the book. And, and so I, I, I bought the A1010 diet book, and I read it, and it just immediately spoke to me. And so I made a transition at that point to a 30-day trial of, of, of the diet of just fruits and vegetables and water, and that was it for 30 days. And it was fantastic. Uh, but at that point in time, my, my discipline wasn't really in place. I wasn't as productive then as I am now, so it didn't stick. I, I went back to eating a lot of cooked uh, vegan food. And in the last two years, I've been kind of back and forth and trying to eat more raw. But recently, I've gotten back into that, and I'm eating significantly more. I'm probably 95% of my diet now is 80 10 10 and it is the most fantastic thing ever. Like it's, it's like I came back home again in, in a sense. Like this diet is so clean. It's so beneficial. I have so much more energy. Um, I'm losing weight again, which is really strange. But like I'm feeling so much better because the diet is just – it's so simple. You just eat fruits and vegetables and drink water. And if you're hungry, you eat more of them. And there's no limit because there's, no, there's very little fat. There's tons of, of nutrients and water content. And you're not going to, you know, gain weight because it's almost impossible to do that eating this much healthy food. So if anyone's considering, you know, going 80-10-10, I say jump into it. Do a 30-day trial. See how that works because it is so wonderful to get those extra benefits that you don't get when you eat a cooked food diet. Yeah, talking to Mike uh, last month for the Academy, that just that conversation got me really interested in doing it. And I'm I'm kind of still in that phase where you know, like I was when I was vegetarian, but not yet vegan, where it just seems so extreme to go to this next level. And I'm just like scared to do it. And I just, you know, like I'm, I'm so over the not getting enough protein thing, but it just, it just seems so weird to me to like give up beans, you know, and just start having fruits, vegetables. I don't even think Mike eats that many nuts and seeds. Um, so I'm just kind of like scared, but I think what I'm going to do is take some, like a raw vegan week or something, because as I've mentioned on this podcast a few times, um, and, never wanted to, to miss the chance to plug something because Mike, you know, did really, he really has done some really nice things to help me out. 
um, I'm speaking at his Woodstock Fruit Festival. So check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, it's in August. It's a two-week-long festival this year, just kind of lots of family fun, camping, and tons and tons of raw and fresh fruits and vegetables. But I'm going to try to do like a week-long raw, at least a week, raw or fruitarian thing before that. Over the summer, right here is always a good time to do that stuff. And uh, just so that I don't have any adverse symptoms when I'm when I'm there, <laughs> you know, camping. Um, anyway, so that's Fruitarian Diet. Check it out if you're interested in it. And I want to shift gears, Jeff, to talk about your uh, wheelhouse, if you will, which is which is the 5 a.m. miracle and, and the personal development, the, the thing that you and I have very much in common. Um, so let's, you know, 5 a.m., what, what, why, I mean, I assume you podcast, I know we've talked about this plenty of times, but your podcast is called the 5 a.m. miracle because it's the idea of getting up at an hour like that and just getting tons and tons of great stuff done, starting your day off on the right foot. Um, what's your morning ritual? Do you actually get up at 5 a.m.? What kind of, what are your habitual actions that you do most mornings, if not every single morning? And uh, just so that hopefully people can can take that as an example and, and, you know, think of how they might kind of carve out their own morning ritual. Yeah, the 5 a.m. miracle really starts with the night before. I, I always say that what the real benefit of a 5 a.m. miracle is, is the intentional decision to wake up with a plan. And so I chose 5 a.m. because it was a great time to wake up early before my wife is awake, you know, and before my dog is really energized yet. So I can have some time in the morning to get stuff done before I officially begin my workday. And so 5 a.m. became this time where I could exercise, I could read, I could do whatever I wanted to do in this kind of quiet, alone space if I wanted to. And it became this real opportunity to get some amazing work done and to have time that I normally felt like I was missing in my day. Because a lot of people will postpone things like, well, I'll work out after work today, or I'll, I'll do that reading of that book I wanted to tonight before bed. But you get busy as the day progresses, and it's harder and harder to get those things to fit in. And so I started doing a 5 a.m. wake-up call about a year and a half ago and really stuck with that over the, over the long term. And it became one of those habits that I, I, I couldn't get away from because the more that I would wake up early, the more I realized how much I could get done, which is where the phrase dominate your day before breakfast came from. I was getting all this amazing stuff done before I'd actually officially eat my breakfast. And I realized that if I could be that productive that early in the day, the rest of my day was so much easier. I felt so much more productive. I literally was getting more done every day than before because I had fewer excuses. I had just more opportunities to get the work done that I cared the most about. And I, of course, I, I, a lot of times I use those morning hours for fitness. So I would go on an early morning run. I would do yoga. I did a lot of reading. Whatever it was that I felt like I was going to miss out on later in the day, I made sure those were the things I prioritized when I first woke up. And that pattern of over time of doing this really allows you to, to solidify some daily habits that produce really great results in the long run. Yeah, so I've started experimenting with something like that this year. Uh, actually, a guest on your podcast, Hal McElrod, is it? Is that his name? Hal Elrod, yeah. Elrod, okay, not McElrod. Um, he, so he has a book slash website called is it miracle morning i think it is yeah not 5 a.m miracle very similar um but yeah it's like what he does is take an hour of your morning and choose i think his default is six activities six things that, that are really important to you so me, to me it was like meditation reading a little bit of physical activity that kind of stuff and you just take an hour you do each of them for 10 minutes or one of them for 15 minutes another one for five minutes but it's basically an hour of stuff that is specifically your time and these actions that you are deeming as 
the most important to get done every single day. Not not urgent in any means. Like nothing happens if you don't do your meditation one morning. But the stuff where if you look back over the course of a year and say, "Wow, I did that every single morning," you know, then you you do start to see a really big difference. Do you have anything like that? I mean, are you doing a set exact routine, or is it is it more just get up and and do what feels right that morning? I have a written list of things that I, I want to get done, but that it's a very fluid list. So things change all the time. When I first started it, I had a very structured list. Like it was literally broken down into five minute increments of what I was going to do. And I think that in the beginning, it's kind of like a boot camp idea. Like I really needed that structure to know like this is how I'm going to maximize my time. And then of course, over time, I got so used to the habits of doing those things. I didn't need that kind of structure anymore. And now I'm able to kind of flow through my mornings without looking at the list. And I know what I want to do and how I want to get things done. So now I'm a little more impulsive in what I decide to do, but it's still the same activities getting done. Um, in some mornings, I do meditation. Sometimes it's yoga. I, I definitely read every morning. And I always try to get my workout in before I go to work. So and of course, my morning smoothie, which is a big part of my, my morning as well. I just ha- actually had my Vitamix smoothie and feeling really great with that. So it's one of those cases where if I can you know, fit in those things and kind of a, you know, a, a pattern that's not exactly structured after a while, that's, that's fine. I don't, I don't need a specific list now, but I definitely think that in the beginning, it's really great to have that structure in place to make sure you're doing the things you want to do in the best order possible to make sure everything gets done. Yeah, the past few, well, really the past... 18 months, um, I really started waking up earlier than, than I had been. And, but that was mostly because, or in reaction to the fact that I was working a full-time job and trying to do a part-time job uh, on top of that. And I did, was running out of time throughout the day. But I did find that those, those morning hours, um, because it was so quiet, because um, you know your brain is still not cluttered with, ever, with everything else, that that's really productive, productive time for me. But for a lot of people, waking up early is is hard, and and setting that habit, um, you know, they just it's hard to get out of bed when you're really comfortable and cozy under the sheets. How do you uh, how do you tell people to how or how do you advise people on how to start creating that habit um, and have it stick in the long term? Well, there's two answers to that question. The first answer is just go to bed earlier, which seems so obvious. But if you go to bed at 9 p.m., eight hours later is 5 a.m. And it's not a, not difficult at all to wake up if you've had enough rest. And the second answer to that is that which do you enjoy more, sleeping in for an extra hour or getting the work done that's going to benefit your, your, your life in the long run? Because most people, if you say, like, well, do you want to run a marathon this year? If this is your, your big your life goal they would say, I'd rather run a marathon than having slept an extra hour this morning. And so you have to really understand what is motivating you to, to do this action. It's not about, you know, was I tired this morning or was the bed comfortable? The question is, do I really care about why I chose this habit in the first place? Because that's, that's why I'm, I was able to stay vegan in the last four years. It's why I pursue most of my goals is that I've got a, a reason to do these things that matter so much to me. I'm willing to make some sacrifices and I'm willing to overcome some obstacles to get there and for a lot of people, 5 a.m. is definitely an obstacle. It's, it's not easy to wake up when you're tired, but it's a lot easier to do that if you're really motivated to do so. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I mean, the motivation is crucial. Sometimes I think that's, you know, someone can really, really want to change their life, have that extra hour. They can totally see all the benefits. They can write down all the benefits and still wake up and want to hit that snooze button, especially when it's cold out. And you just, you know, it just, there's all these barriers to, to getting up, you know, the, the losing the comfort, losing the warmth, having to actually go do something, which is not always the easiest work. Um, 
just from my own experience, the things that have made it easier for me was kind of removing barriers. Like when someone wants to get up and run in the morning, they talk about that you can actually sleep in your running clothes. And then that's one less thing for you to do so that when you get up, you can just start running and you're, you know, it's just, it's just one less little obstacle to keep you in bed. But for me, it meant, um, you know, like I would do most of that morning stuff out of my office. So it just meant setting all that stuff up, having it all ready to go, having the coffee ready because coffee was a part of my routine and one of the motivators for me to actually get up. But having that stuff totally ready to go when you go to bed uh, and going to bed early, as you mentioned. But that that really helped me, just having it all set up in a place so that I knew that when I woke up, there was always going to be that struggle until you really get into that habit. But the less stuff that stands in your way, that the easier it is. And coffee's really good, too. Yeah, definitely. Now, I think it's also one of those cases where like, I have multiple alarm clocks. So I have one next to my bed. I have one across the room. And I own another alarm clock. I'm not actually using it at this point, but I used to. I literally had a third alarm clock that was outside of the bedroom completely to literally say, like, I have to get my body out of bed to make this happen. And in, in, the, in the past, when I was in college, I owned a coffee maker that had an automatic grinder on it. So I set a timer for that when I wanted to wake up. And that thing sounded like a tornado. It would go off. And so I had literally had no choice. Like, it was so obnoxious. I could not go back to sleep. And so, it, I mean, whatever it takes, right? Like, if you really want your goals to happen, you have to find a way to guarantee that you're not going to miss those actions that are going to get you there. Vitamix or Blendtec reps, if you're listening what you need to do is build in a little sleep timer so that you can load it up with fruits and vegetables and then you know it's going to go off and wake up the entire house at a certain time and then you, and then you set your alarm just a few minutes before that. My, yeah, I've had I've had dealt with things like that because I have two kids and if there's any kind of a stir and it wakes all them up at 5 a.m., that, that leads to not a really happy household for the morning. So I've actually thought of like, what if I were to put an alarm, like have, have my own alarm go off at, at 555 and then have another one that's actually inside one of the kids room like something that's just slipped under the door like almost like a bomb so that if i allow that thing to go off then all hell breaks loose so that would just (laughs) kind of force me to get up and and go do my stuff that's a great one too i love that idea make your kids suffer because you were sleeping in late all right so jeff um just a few more questions we're uh, running out of time here but let's talk about accountability stuff a little bit because it's something that we do together and uh, something that, that we obviously both believe in. But And I mean, it's also one of the first things I tell people. Like when you, when you do set a new goal, when you, when you have this new thing that, you, that really does mean a lot to you, even could be getting up in the morning, having the accountability, often because of someone else, uh, really helps. And, and I've seen some studies recently that have actually shown that when goal setting works, very often that is the primary reason, the accountability. And if it's not there, then the goal is not going to work. Um, have you heard of the Derek Sivers stuff who, by the way, wrote a great book called Anything You Want. I would highly recommend it to anyone interested in just these sort of topics, business, anything like that. But he uh, has a TED Talk, and every time I bring up accountability, somebody comments and says, well, what about the Derek Sivers talk where he basically points out some study. I think it was from like 1920 or 30. Maybe I'm making it maybe – maybe that's way too early. But uh, basically he shows that if you once you share your goals, you become less likely to – do them because the idea is that once you've put on Facebook that you're going to run a marathon or that you're going to lose 50 pounds or whatever it is that you are resolving to do, all of a sudden some little part of your personality is satisfied because it feels like, okay, I've now, I don't feel guilty about that anymore. Now I'm, I'm the type of person who announces that and does that. And like once that satisfaction is gone or once that satisfaction is there, the drive actually goes away. Um, 
you know, I've seen I've seen plenty of reasons, but I'm just wondering what what your take is on that. And and I have an explanation I've heard from Leo from Zen Habits, which is, which is good enough for me. But I'm interested to hear your take on it. Well, the way that I've kind of experienced that is, I think that there definitely is a part of that is true. That if you tell the whole world, you know, I'm running a marathon this year, you do kind of feel a sense of satisfaction. Uh, but what I've read in the past and what seems to have been true for me is that there are certain people that you share your goals with and others that you don't. And so, for example, if you wanted to run a marathon, but right now you're very overweight, sharing that goal with the world is, might give you a lot of flack. Like some people might say, well, how are you going to pull that off? You know, you're not in shape. Whereas if you were to tell people who support you and would you know, encourage you no matter what, those are the kinds of people that you'd want to share that goal with. Those are the kinds of people who would be great accountability partners because they're the ones that are going to make sure that they're going to be by your side regardless, whether you do the, the goal or not. And when you tell those people, you know, hey, support me in this goal that I'm after, then after you accomplish that goal, then you tell the whole world, hey, look what I just did now that it's past tense. And then you have all that satisfaction that's actually been earned at that point. Yeah, I like that because that's always one of the driving factors for me when I have a new big goal is I would really love to surprise everyone with this. And I would love for for a bunch of people like, you know, and I can say, look, see, I did this. Um, But I think I think that's a good idea because then you can kind of. It doesn't have to be a total secret. You can still get the accountability partners on board and still have that motivating factor of, of springing the surprise on everybody. Um, my, I guess my answer to this and what I've heard others say is if, if you truly are just one time posting it on Facebook and saying, I'm doing this, and you get all this positive feedback and then you feel great and then you don't do it because you, you feel great and you've satisfied that, that urge, um, that's a lot different from finding getting someone either one person or a bunch of people and saying here's the schedule every single week we are checking in at this time i'm going to have this spreadsheet and i'm going to record what i've done here so that everyone can see it and i want you at this time every week or every day to check in and i want to have to report to you what i did so that you know there's this there's this built in now this system of accountability it's not the one time thing that's so so different and i think that's what the Derek Sivers the studies he's citing are based on that more of that one shot thing rather than enlisting a partner and having someone who who you are scheduling time with to you know to make sure you're sticking to it. Yeah, I know that like when we meet every week, the day before we meet, I have a, a, you know, a strong motivation to prepare for our meeting. And so I every single week, you know, I mean, today is a good example of that I'm going to be preparing all my notes and putting together all my thoughts about what I want to talk to you about. So in the sense that I, I've got what I need, and I know that I have to do that work, because if I don't, I'm going to let you down. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. It's the same idea if you have like someone you're going to meet to go to the gym. Like If you're going to meet someone at, at 6 a.m. and you don't show up, they're going to be upset with you. And so it, having that person there to, to hold you accountable to make sure you do what you said you're going to do, it goes a really long way. Because my very first marathon, I trained with a friend to, to do that. And I don't think I would have finished the marathon had I not trained with him. And so it's a, it's a really powerful tactic. Yeah, I totally agree. Accountability is huge, and I think I think it's a shame. I mean, I love Derek Sivers. I love his stuff. I think it's a shame that some people have gotten this idea that it's actually a bad thing. And I think uh, you know people like to have the contrarian viewpoint, and I think stuff like that spreads and is popular. But I think accountability is huge, and I think I think you're making a mistake if you ignore it or uh, avoid it. Worse. So Jeff, um, this I mean, as we said, the raw, the vegan, the marathon, that kind of stuff is is going to be old hat to a lot of Nomad Athlete listeners, and uh, I'm sure they're happy to have heard your stories. The personal development stuff is probably newer, though, to to a lot of people, and I have the wake-up book. So, I mean, it's not like this is a out-of-left-field topic, but for people who this is kind of new, I mean, just the whole idea of thinking in terms of goals and accountability 
and setting up systems that actually support the goal rather than just setting a goal and then forgetting about it. You know, the New Year's thing where you set a goal on December 31st and then you you literally don't think about it again after like January 7th until December 31st rolls around again and you set it again. So for people who are kind of new to this, there's just this whole idea of thinking about this in a different way from that. Where do you recommend start starting? Like who are your favorite personal development people and obviously your podcast is a tremendous resource i would recommend starting there actually if if you want to get further into this stuff now that you are you know are familiar with jeff and know jeff and know his approach uh, and know that he's a vegan raw marathoner but if they want to go beyond just 5 a.m miracle like where how do you recommend people get into this is there a certain person a certain philosophy approach anything you can recommend to someone who's new to this whole personal development idea yeah, personal development is one of those things where I've heard in the past that only about 3% of the entire world even knows what it really means to pursue personal development because most people don't have written goals, which is, I think, is the number one thing you'd have to have to really embrace what personal development ultimately means in a practical sense. Having a system of written goals goes a long way to, I mean, to being accountable, to knowing what you want out of your own life. And the way that I pursue personal development, the way I think about it and frame it in my mind is that I'm in pursuit of becoming my ideal self. And so when I ask myself, what do I want to do with my next year or my next big goal? It's really more of a question of who is the ideal Jeff Sanders and what can I do to be more like him? Because that's the person I'm chasing all the time. That's the person I'm trying to become like. And I know that the ideal Jeff Sanders eats a really healthy diet and runs marathons and has a very successful business and, and does all these great things. And so what can I do to make those things become my reality? And in pursuit of that, when I first got started, um, some of the best people that I was inspired by, uh, Darren Hardy is a great guy. He's the publisher of Success Magazine, which is an awesome magazine to read if you want to get into personal development. And also read his book, which is The Compound Effect. Uh, the Compound Effect is probably the most recommended book that I, I put out there because it is the philosophy behind it is that the small daily habits and little things you do add up to big success in the long run, which is really what life is all about and what personal development really means. Because the way that I define success is that it's the progressive realization of a worthy goal. So it's that constant pursuit, that growth that you're always going after. And so I mean, anyone who's ever run a marathon or changed their diet knows that these things happen in small iterations, you know, little changes over time. You don't get to a marathon you know, fitness level in a week. It happens over the course of you know, months or years. And so that's the idea of personal development is that your life is going to get better, but it begins with those small habits. It begins with a you know, 5 a.m. miracle or it begins with you know, a, a new way to, to eat or approach your day. And so for me, personal development is all about kind of that pursuit of those little things that add up to big success later on. Awesome. That's a great answer. And uh, I totally agree with the, the, you know, who do you need to become the ideal version of you? That to me is the first place to start after you set a big goal. Uh, don't necessarily ask like, what do I need to do to get this? Ask, who do I need to become to get this? And then what do I need to do to become that person? That, that to me, is kind of the, the roadmap of you know, goal setting and, and goal achieving. So, Jeff, this has been great. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time, and I think uh, listeners will really enjoy this one too. This, is, this has been one of my favorite episodes, perhaps because it's just a topic that uh, I really like. But for people who want to follow up and get more from you, can you tell everyone how to – find your stuff. I mean, 5 a.m. Miracle on iTunes is, is an obvious place. It's the number five followed by the letters a.m. No periods or anything like that, right? That's right. Yeah. Five space a.m. Miracle. Okay. And then where else? Uh, JeffSanders.com is my home base with all my blog posts and episodes of the podcast are listed there as well. You can find all the things I'm up to. It's all at the website there. So if you, you go to iTunes for the podcast and go to JeffSanders.com with the website, that's all you got to know. 
Okay, sounds great. Check it out. Jeff, thanks again. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Matt and Doug. Appreciate it. Okay.